Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights is proudly brought to you by Quip, the company dedicated to delivering perfect oral care right to your door, literally. Quip makes having a great smile simple, affordable, and surprisingly enjoyable for everyone. And by HalloweenCostumes.com, your home this Halloween for the biggest selection of costumes in the world. I'll be back after our first story tonight to tell you a little more about Quip and a special offer they have for those of you listening in tonight. And after our second tale to tell you more about HalloweenCostumes.com and how you can get 20% off your entire order with them this spooky season. Until then, settle in, get cozy, and prepare to be unsettled. The show is about to begin. <laughs> it's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of four rounds of frightening fiction about beastly babysitting 
malevolent masks, lurid legends, and haunted hotels. I'm Steve Taylor. Tonight, I'll be your host as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your wildest imaginations. Joining us tonight to help bring our frightening fiction to life are voice actors Mateo Goikachea, Jason Hill, and Heather Thomas. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Our first tale tonight, from author Sammy Ruiz, is voiced by Mateo Goicochea and centers on a young man asked to do something relatively mundane. Babysit his infant cousin. There's just one problem. His aunt collects unbelievably creepy sculptures and displays them everywhere. The reason why will change him forever. Without further ado, I present to you The Statues. I never liked going to my Aunt Paola's house. Honestly, I never liked her either. She's a creepy Bible-thumping Jesus fanatic and she'd always circle over me like a vulture. But none of that creeped me out like her house did. It was old, run down, and filled with weird religious art. Sure, there were the typical paintings of The Last Supper and Our Lady of Guadalupe, but that's not what made my skin crawl. It was the statues. I couldn't put my finger on exactly what bothered me, but something wasn't right about them. They were littered all over the place, filling every corner, turning up in every direction you looked, and I swear they looked back. Giant, god-awful figures of saints and angels clogging the tiny house and turning it into a claustrophobic maze. I often wondered where my aunt had gotten the money for all the sculptures. In all other regards, it seemed as though she had taken a holy vow of poverty. Very little money was spent on herself or even her toddler son. My cousin Miguel was just as strange as his mother. They were so alike that I sometimes forgot Aunt Paola had adopted him. It was the eyes that truly made them resemble one another. A haunted stare accompanied by uncomfortable silence. The first time I babysat Miguel, he never fussed or cried the way normal babies do. It should have been a relief, but the entire time I squirmed as he watched me. My mother insisted there was no medical reason to blame for his disposition. I secretly wondered if it came from being cooped up with my aunt who had never dated or married. After that evening, I passed all the babysitting opportunities on to my younger sister. She didn't seem to mind, it probably would have continued on that way if not for a school project that had my sister occupied at a neighbor's house right when my aunt insisted on going to Saturday Mass. There was nothing I could do to get out of it. My mom didn't care about my whining, she just leaned across the kitchen table and said, Look Marcos, I'm not asking, I'm telling. That was the end of it. An hour later, we were in the car driving to my aunt's house. Gradually clean-swept sidewalks and picket fences gave way to chain links and graffiti. Occasionally, we'd pass a coffee house packed with hipsters milling around like poverty tourists on safari. And people like my aunt were the wildlife. My mom parked, I stepped out of the car and walked up four wooden stairs to my aunt's front door. As I reached out to ring the doorbell, the front door flung open. Hola, Marcos. She said in a thick Mexican accent. Her dark eyes stared into mine. She was a small lady with shoulder-length black hair. She wore a white polo shirt and a navy blue skirt that resembled a schoolgirl's uniform. Her wrinkled brown skin reminded me of a dried-up riverbed. Miguel is already asleep in his crib. 
Make sure you give him his bottle if he starts crying. I made two of them already. They're in the refrigerator. And make sure you do not put the TV too loud. Your mom and I will be back in an hour. She pronounced the H sound in the word hour when she said it. Okay, Tia Paola, I responded. She preferred when I called her Tia Paola because the word aunt was too American for her. She was an old school Mexican lady that didn't believe in speaking English. She had no choice when it came to me because I didn't speak Spanish. That made her angry and it made me chuckle every time I reminded her of that. She stomped off towards the car as I waved my mom goodbye. I let out a sigh of disappointment as they drove off. <sighs> Here we go. I thought aloud as I closed the door and walked into the pitch black house. I felt the wall for the light switched and flicked it on. Directly in front of me stood a five foot tall statue of the Blessed Virgin. I jumped back and yelped. Maybe it was my imagination, but I thought I saw hate in the eyes of the otherwise serene face of the statue. It was ridiculous. Statues can't feel or hate anything at all. It's just plaster. I said underneath my breath as I warily backed toward the sofa. As I rummaged around the floral pillows for the remote, I recalled that my aunt was too cheap to pay for cable. Maybe the bill would have eaten into her precious statue money. Still, that left five channels to choose from. Three of those channels were news followed by Fox and some kind of Spanish public access. The pickings were slim. Luckily, Fox was showing an episode of The X-Files and I had enough time to grab a snack while the commercials were on. Wandering towards the kitchen, I noticed a couple of crucifixes nailed above each doorway. Nope, nothing weird here, I muttered sarcastically. Inside the fridge, I found stacks of Tupperware, the two bottles for Miguel, and a cookie tin hiding towards the back. There was a 50% chance that the tin held sewing supplies, especially since it was sitting on top of a Bible. Clearly, Aunt Paola was losing her mind. A spoon sat next to the Bible, so I used it to pry open the tin. Beans. Cold, smelly beans. My consolation prize was a bottle of water, which I grabbed just as I heard the show start in the living room. Hurrying back, I plopped down on the couch. My phone buzzed with a new text message. Apparently, my friends were off hanging out at the mall like normal teenagers, and the girls they were meeting had a friend who thought I was cute. Great, I was officially cursed. Instead of replying, I tossed my phone towards the other end of the couch so I could focus on the adventures of Mulder and Scully. The monster they were investigating was a shape-shifting something or other that was behind a string of murders and several local legends. Of course, Mulder had to ask, what if the legends are true? While Scully rolled her eyes and scribbled on a clipboard. Halfway through the episode, Scully was conducting an interview with a witness who just happened to be the monster in disguise. Tension was building, and just as it reached its peak, Miguel let out a blood-curdling scream down the hallway. I jumped down and ran down the hall to Miguel's room. His bedroom was slightly ajar. I pushed it open to find pitch darkness. With my body halfway into his room, I blindly fumbled for the light switch. I flicked it on and found Miguel standing up in his crib. Tears rolled down his cheeks and onto his light blue onesie. His pudgy hands clasped the rails of the crib as he rocked his body back and forth. What's wrong, Miguelito? I asked as if expecting a two-year-old to respond. Quickly, I remembered the bottles in the fridge and ran to grab one. I hustled back to his room and handed a bottle to him. He wouldn't take it and continued crying. 
I then pressed the nipple of the bottles to his lips, but he refused to drink. Desperate, I looked around the room as if I would find the solution to his crying laying around somewhere. I jumped back in a fright. I don't know how I missed it when I walked into the room, but in front of Miguel's closet stood a life-sized concrete gargoyle. It hunched over, as if ready to pounce on its prey. Sharp feathered wings sprouted from its back. Its menacing face was dominated by a nose that protruded like a parrot's beak over thick lips formed into a feral grin. The bald, misshapen head was dwarfed by its muscular body, from which oversized hands and arms hung below its bent knees. Although the feet it perched on resembled a chicken's talons, the overall effect was ape-like. I'd never seen anything like it. Yet, it had an undefinable quality that matched the rest of the sculptures in the house. Maybe that's why I didn't run away screaming. While watching the hideous gargoyle, I rubbed my cousin's back to soothe him. Shh, don't cry, Miguelito. He coughed and made himself gag from crying so hard. Through his sobbing and crying, I heard my phone ring in the living room. I dropped the bottle in Miguel's crib, picked him up, and walked him to the living room. Without looking at who was calling, I quickly answered the phone with my one free hand. Hello? Hello? I shouted over Miguel's cries. Marcos, it's Tia Paola. Why is Miguel crying? I have no idea. I gave him his bottle and he wouldn't drink it. He, he doesn't stop crying. Must end it early and we're on our way home. I told you not to put the TV so loud, Marcos, she shouted. Tia, maybe he's crying because of that ugly black statue you put in his room. That thing even scared me. Why would you have something like that in a baby's room? What black statue are you talking about, Marcos? I've never put anything like that in his room. Then where did it come from? It was in front of his closet facing the crib, I shouted. She stayed silent for a moment, then whispered as if someone on my end of the line might overhear her. Listen to me carefully, Marcos. Get out of the house right now, take Miguel, and leave immediately. What? I asked. Her whispers turned to screams. Marcos, leave now! That statue you saw isn't a statue, es un demonio! I slowly lowered my phone and attempted to translate her last words. Es un demonio, I whispered to myself. Prickles and goosebumps shot up my body at once. I realized what she had said. Oh shit, she said it's a demon! I dropped my phone and stumbled. The back of my knees hit the couch. I could hear my mom and aunt screaming my name from the phone speaker. As I stepped forward to move towards the front door, Miguel's bedroom light suddenly turned off. Miguel stopped crying and squeezed my neck with his little cold arms. With his face pressed against mine, we focused our eyes on the black hallway. His bedroom door gently creaked open. I could feel Miguel's heartbeat galloping along with mine. From the darkness of the bedroom hallway, a low-pitched growl echoed into the living room. Miguel began to scream again. As I ran to the front door, all the lights in the house suddenly shut off. Heavy footsteps thudded towards us. Something yanked both of my legs out from under me, and I fell onto my side. My head hit something hard, but through the dizziness and nausea, I held onto Miguel's torso with my good arm and struggled to my feet. We made maybe two or three steps toward the door when Miguel was then ripped out of my grasp. The last thing I remember was somebody screaming. It might have been me, I'm, I'm not sure. When I came to my senses, I was on a stretcher being loaded into an ambulance. 
A paramedic said I had a broken arm and a serious head concussion. I don't recall rambling about monsters or trying to get up, but when I woke up in the hospital, I was told that I had to be restrained to keep me from hurting myself. Doctors and detectives quizzed me on what I could remember. I insisted a monster disguised as a statue had attacked my cousin and I. They chalked it up to the blow to my head and told me that my cousin had been taken in the same home invasion that had resulted in my injuries. Someone with a clipboard gently explained to me that I had been watching a TV show about monsters and urban legends before I was attacked. The emotion and neurological trauma caused me to blend fantasy with memories of the crime. But what about the statues, I asked. Clearly I was still confused. My aunt never had any statues, not of gargoyles or anything else. A nurse came in to put a shot of something in my IV. The last thoughts that drifted through my head were that maybe some urban legends are true. Maybe a demon can look like a statue. And maybe that house was crawling with them. I hope you enjoyed the statues as written by Sammy Ruiz and performed by Mateo Goicochea. Up next, we've got another tale for you, performed by Jason Hill. In this Chilling Tales for Dark Nights exclusive original story, co-authored by Chilling Tales for Dark Nights creator Craig Groshek and the very talented Blair Daniels, we'll discover the perils of online commerce and why phishing scams ought to be the very least of your concerns this season. Before I proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about one of tonight's sponsors, Quip, and how they can help you ensure that no matter how much candy you eat this Halloween, your smile will look better than ever. Let me ask you, have you ever considered what actually makes a better toothbrush? If you're like me, you've owned dozens in your lifetime and probably have a whole drawer full of the free ones your dentist gave you over the years. And we all suspect some are better than others and that the quality of a toothbrush can make the difference between having a fantastic cavity-free checkup every year to being on the receiving end of a lifetime of dental distress. But what is it exactly that makes something as ordinary as a toothbrush extraordinary? Is it industrial strength power? Claims of miraculous trendy ingredients? Multiple modes? If you ask your dentist, they're likely to tell you, believe it or not, that it's less about the brush and more about how you use it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why Quip was created by dentists and product designers to focus on what actually matters for your oral health. Healthier habits. Quip sensitive sonic vibrations with a built-in timer guide gentle brushing for the dentist-recommended two minutes with 30-second pulses, ensuring an effective, even cleaning each and every time. In a world where up to 90% of people don't brush for a full two minutes, or don't brush evenly, or don't clean evenly, this can make a world of difference that you'll be able to feel every time you brush. Better yet, with Quip, there's no need to worry about your toothbrush wearing out. Quip automatically delivers brush heads to you every three months for clean new bristles right on schedule, all for just $5, and with no extra trips to the store required. It's a friendly reminder that it's time for a refresh and to stay committed to your oral health. And you can rest easy knowing that with Quip, you've got one less thing to remember. As if all of that's not awesome enough, Quip's sleek, intuitive design is simple to use and comes with a travel cap that doubles as a mirror mount. The multi-use cover even slides over your bristles to pack and protect your Quip on the go, so it's perfect to bring on road trips and vacations. Not only that, but there are no wires or clunky chargers with Quip, so it takes up less space and keeps your bathroom tidy. 
Not to mention it runs for three months on a single charge. What more could you ask for in a toothbrush? For the first time ever, these and other thoughtful features may just get you excited about brushing twice a day. Once you've tried Quip, brushing will be more than a responsibility. It'll be a pleasure. Oh, and for those of you listening in tonight with kids of your own, Quip offers a new brush just for them so they can feel the difference too. Quip's new kid-friendly brush is the same as their original version, just reduced in size. Children are inspired to brush more often and more thoroughly when they're able to use a product that mimics the look and feel of the ones the adults in their life use. And with Quip, you can help them develop a grown-up routine without the need for childish gimmicks. And that's something both of you can be proud of. The truth is, we all know instinctively that good habits matter when it comes to living a healthier life. Whether we're talking about eating well or exercising regularly, getting in the habit of doing what's best for you and doing it often is key to being our very best. And what better way to help form fresh oral health habits than with Quip, the company dedicated to delivering perfect oral care right to your front door. Quip starts at just $25, and you'll get your first refill free at getquip.com tales. This is a simple way to support our show and start brushing better. But you have to get to getquip.com slash tales to get your first refill free. Go right now to getquip.com slash tales. That's T-A-L-E-S, tales. Be sure to use that URL to let the kind folks at Quip know that Steve Taylor and the team at Chilling Tales for Dark Knight sent you. It would mean a lot to us. Thanks so much for your time and for giving Quip a try this month. Now that we've helped give you something to smile about, courtesy of our friends at Quip, allow me to give you something to turn that grin outside in with another terrifying tale. From co-authors Craig Groshek and Blair Daniels, as brought to life by voice actor Jason Hill, we bring to you a tale about a man simply trying to prepare for an upcoming Halloween party. When he orders a mask online, however, and uses a suspicious-looking promo code, He gets far more than the bargain he bargained for. Without further ado, I present to you the chilling tales for Dark Knight's original story, The Halloween Mask. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Ding! I jolted awake. My phone lit up on the nightstand. It showed one new notification. Motion detected at your doorstep. 3.17 a.m. My heart pounded as my fingers slipped across the screen. I clicked on the security camera video feed. A man, 
stood on my doorstep. He stayed so still. I would have thought it was a photograph if not for the bugs fluttering by every few seconds. His body melted into the shadows around him, but his face shone brightly. Or not his face. A white mask. And it was covered in blood. He stared straight at the camera, completely still, mouth twisted in a grin. It all started when I ordered the Halloween mask. Alicia and I decided to host the neighborhood Halloween party this year. I'd shout out hundreds of dollars on plastic skulls, purple streamers, even one of those candy bowls with the animatronic hand in the middle. We still need to decide what to dress up as, my wife said as she neatly stacked the boxes in the corner. I was thinking maybe Morticia and Gomez? No, that's cliché. Alicia rolled her eyes. So what if it's cliché? It's just a neighborhood party. It has to be perfect. Well, whatever it is, you better decide soon because the party's next weekend. I scrolled through the costumes on HalloweenCostumes.com looking for something terrifying. Something our neighbors would remember for years to come. Last year, the party was hosted by my rival neighbor, David Chandler. <sighs> Perfectly handsome BMW-driving David. My very own Ned Flanders. One upping me on everything from lawn care to job promotions. Last year, he threw an incredible party, dressed as the clown. From It... He even jump-scared half the guests at various points throughout the evening. People were still talking about how awesome it was. I had to do better. What about that? Alicia asked, pointing to a plain white mask. It looked similar to a Michael Myers mask. White plastic forming the shape of a man's face with cutouts for the eyes and mouth. You could make it your own. Add blood or stitches or something. True... I added it to my cart, and after scouring the web for some promo codes, I didn't have much money left after all I'd spent on decorations, found a sketchy-looking website with what appeared to be a legitimate HalloweenCostumes.com promo URL displayed, with the offer code worked into it. It read, HalloweenCostumes.com slash promo slash selectyourscare20. Without thinking, I clicked it. As soon as I did so, I was redirected somewhere that was definitely not HalloweenCostumes.com. Damn it, I thought. I should have copied and pasted the link instead of clicking it directly. As I pondered how many viruses I'd just been infected with and before I could do anything else, a strange message popped up, taking up my entire screen. Code input successfully. Select your scare. One. Two. Or three. What the hell is this? I muttered. I tried to just click away from the dialogue box, but it wouldn't disappear. Finally, against my better judgment, I clicked the first option just to make it go away. And I was happy to see I was back on the official HalloweenCostumes.com site, with my items still in my shopping cart, and the promo code successfully applied. I can't believe it, I thought. It actually worked. With that important Halloween-related task checked off my list, but many things left to take care of, I went on with my day, 
and quickly forgot all about the strange pop-up and eagerly waited my new mask. A few days later, I got an email telling me the package had arrived. October 29th, two days before the party. But when I got home, I found an empty doorstep. You didn't see a package? I asked Alicia. Didn't you get the notification? She asked, pinning up purple and orange streamers. We were the victims of a porch pirate. She pulled out her phone and handed it to me. Check it out. We have one of those security cameras by the door, mostly to avoid Bob, our resident traveling salesman, who seems to be selling something new every week. Whenever motion is detected, it pings our phones. Today, I've been swamped at work, though, and hadn't had a chance to look at it. I pressed play. I saw our doorstep and the brown cardboard box sitting on the doorstep. Behind it, on the sidewalk, was a figure in black. I watched as the man approached. He walked up my sidewalk with confidence, as if he lived there. As soon as he got close, close enough for me to see his face, he tilted his pale head down. Then he stepped onto my porch and, face still hidden, grabbed the package. He walked back down the sidewalk and disappeared. Why would he steal a package of Halloween costumes? Because your costume was just so amazing, he wanted it for himself. Alicia joked as she lined up bags of candy. It wasn't amazing yet. It was just the mask. I walked over to the table and helped her set up the candy. So we have two days, right? What else needs to be done? Well, we need to get new costumes, and I was thinking Morticia and Gomez. I sighed. Fine, we'll do it. I thought that would be the end of it. Some guy stole the package and that was it. We'd never see the mask again. I was sorely mistaken. As I sat at the table a few hours later, dumping candy into decorative bowls, a flash of motion caught my eye. I looked up and saw someone walking in our backyard at the edge of the woods. They were dressed entirely in black, walking along the perimeter of the forest, and the dusk light was hard to pick out any details about them, like their gender or their face. The only thing I could see was that they walked with slow, deliberate movements, and it looked like they were wearing a white mask. I heard Alicia's footsteps behind me and motioned her over. Alicia, look. There's someone in our backyard. What? Seriously? She joined me at the window. But by the time she did, the person had already disappeared into the forest. Huh. Well, I'm going up to bed, Alicia said. We can finish this tomorrow. I followed her up. Minutes after my head hit the pillow, I fell into a deep sleep. Until I woke up an hour later. I looked at the clock. 1.34 a.m. I pulled myself out of bed and trudged over to the bathroom, eyes blurred with sleep. The moonlight showed in from the window. I walked over to it, as if drawn by the light, and peered into the backyard below. I froze. At the edge of the backyard was a figure dressed in all black, wearing a white mask.
facing our house, standing still as a statue. My heart pounded. I reached for my phone, then remembered it was still in the nightstand. I raced over and grabbed it, then looked back out the window. He was gone. The next day, in the flurry of getting ready for the party, I forgot about what I'd seen the night before. Around 6 p.m., I headed out to the party store to pick up some last-minute things. There, I received a text from Alicia. Well, that was odd in and of itself. I knew she had an important call with a client that evening. Confused, I opened the text. What it said made no sense. I'm glad you found your mask, but can you please stop? I'm on the phone with Evelyn. I quickly texted back. Stop what? She replied. Stop tapping on the window. It's super annoying. I stared at my phone, panic seeping in. Then my fingers raced across the keyboard as I typed. I'm not at home. I'm at the party store. She did not reply. I grabbed my stuff and ran out to the car, phone pressed against my ear. I breathed a sigh of relief when she answered. Ben, I told you I'm on the phone. Alicia, I'm not home. Whoever you're seeing out there isn't me. You need to call the police right now. Memories of the figure I'd seen the night before rushed back to me and I shuddered. But... Call the police! I yelled. When I arrived home, the police were already there. Red and blue lights flashing in the darkness of our driveway. Alicia stood in the driveway, giving her statement, somewhat begrudgingly. All I saw was someone in a black hoodie, black pants, and a white mask with fake blood all over it. They were over there at the office window. You didn't recognize anything about them? The tall, lanky officer asked. I... <laughs> thought it was my husband, but he was at the store, apparently. Look, I'm sure it's just some teenager from the neighborhood playing a mischief night prank. And if it is, she said, giving me a stern look as I walked over, I don't want to press charges. We were all young and dumb once. The officer laughed at that, an annoying, high-pitched laugh that grated my eardrums. We'll take a look around and follow up with you, Mrs. Breslau. He said, Thank you. Alicia turned to me, arms crossed, lips pressed into a line. Great. You've just wasted 20 minutes of my time. Evelyn is so pissed that I got the call short. There was some creep tapping on your window. I shouted back. What? You wanted to just ignore it? Obviously just some teenager. I mean, come on. It's mischief night. I'm just happy it was that and not getting TP'd. Ugh, that takes forever to clean up. Okay, fine. I hurried past her and set my supplies on the table. Then I set to work ripping open packs of plastic spiders and bats. They fell onto the table with a loud, gross plop. I'm going upstairs, Alicia said curtly, leaving me to prepare for the party on my own. Ding! Motion detected at your doorstep, 3.17 a.m. The notification came through on my phone, loud and clear. I tapped on the video feed, half asleep. A man stood on my doorstep. He wore all black. Covering his face was the white mask I'd ordered, covered in something dark. I jumped out of bed. Alicia! I whispered, shaking her awake. Alicia, he's back! What? 
she murmured. The man in the mask, he's back. He's standing on our porch right now, and... Is he TPing in the trees? No! Then let me sleep, she groaned, rolling over and throwing the covers over her hand. I know lots of crazy things happen on Mischief Night, but this... This crossed a line. A big line. A man standing on my porch in the middle of the night, wearing the mask I'd ordered? Probably the same man who'd stolen the mask in the first place, right off my doorstep. Well, this was too far. I crept out of the room and peered down into the foyer. Through the glass insert in our door, I saw him. He stood under the porch light, blurred and distorted through the glass. But I could still make out the white mask, stained red with blood. Should I call the police? Alicia would be mad at me. Screw it, this was too far. My fingers slipped over the screen. There's a man standing on my porch in a mask, I said, my words coming out as a jumbled string of syllables. As soon as the call ended, the figure shifted. Then it receded, until all that remained was the empty porch. I clicked back to the security camera feed. It, too, showed nothing but the empty porch and the shadows of the front yard. A sharp knock on the door tore me from my thoughts. I looked down to see two figures distorted through the glass. Two figures wearing blue uniforms. I let the police in and explained everything. I even showed them the security footage. They searched the backyard, but they didn't find anyone. When they finally left, I retreated back into the bedroom. Alicia, thankfully, somehow slept through it all. I locked the door and dragged a dresser over it for good measure. Then, I collapsed into the bed. I didn't fall asleep until the sky brightened with dawn, and the birds began to sing. Aren't you excited for the party? I stared out the window like a soulless zombie. I'd slept all of three hours, and the fatigue felt like a train driving over me, again and again. But I couldn't nap. There was so much to do. Spider cupcakes and monster fingers to bake. Decorations to hang. Candy bowls to put out. Will you hang these streamers in the office? Alicia asked, handing me a tangled mess of black, orange, and purple. But no one will be going in there. She quirked an eyebrow at me. You told me you wanted this to be the best party ever. That you wanted every single room decorated. Just in case. Okay, okay. I said forcing myself out of the chair. I took the streamers from her and entered the office. There, on the desk, was the mask. Mouth twisted into a smile. Gaping holes for eyes, dark red splattered across the plastic. Alicia! I shouted. She rushed into the room. Where? Where did you get this mask? I stuttered, breathless. It was on our doorstep this morning. Relief flooded through me. He wasn't in the house. It was just on the doorstep. My entire body shook as I fell into the chair. Why don't you rest for a bit before the party starts? Alicia said, laying a hand on my shoulder. I'll call you down when everyone's here. I nodded. 
Alicia thought I was overreacting. Maybe she was right. Maybe I was letting a mischief night prank by some dumb teenager mess with my head. I lay down on the bed, ignoring the dings of my phone on the nightstand, and closed my eyes. It seemed like only seconds passed before Alicia was back in the room, asking me to come downstairs. Everyone's here, she said, and they want to see you. I followed her down the stairs and froze. Every single person in the room wore the mask. Black clothes with that white mask over their faces, covered in splatters of blood, gaping eye holes, a twisted mouth. I felt dizzy. The room pitched before me and I gripped the banister for balance. Ben, are you okay? I swayed, trying to steady myself. Why... Why are they all wearing that? They said you asked them to. What? You didn't? No, I said as the crowd blurred before me. They said you left the masks with a note saying they should wear them to the party. A lot of people canceled because of it. Families with kids, mostly. She turned to me. You really didn't do it? Why would I? Alicia shrugged. I don't know. You were obsessed with this party from the beginning, and, and the mask, I, I th thought maybe... She trailed off. If you, you didn't put the masks in their mailboxes, who did? Him. The man who had been tapping on the window. The man who had been standing on our porch last night. The man who stole my mask. As my mind swirled with questions, who he was, why'd he do this, the memory popped into my head. The promo code, and the select your scare message. Had I somehow chosen this? I stared into the crowd. Fifty masked faces stared back at me, all identical. Anyone could be him, or no one. Before I could think, a hand pulled me into the crowd. Ben! Hey, how's it going? A familiar voice asked behind the mask. Eddie Huntley, the blonde-haired man that lived three houses down the street. <sighs> it's good, <laughs> I said, faking a smile. He continued to talk, but I only pretended I was listening. He looked across the crowd. All the masked faces were turned towards each other, bobbing and nodding in conversation. Except for one. One who was staring right at me. I broke away from the conversation. Hey, hey, hey! I shouted, pushing through the crowd. His gaping eyes stared back at mine, soulless and empty. I grabbed the mask and ripped it off, and stared into the face of Mary Chandler, the wife of my rich, luxury-loving neighbor. Ben, great party! Love the masks, she said in her elegant, soft voice. Really adds a creepy flavor to the whole thing. Um, <clears throat> thanks, I stuttered. Hey, have you seen David? It seems I've lost him. I shook my head. She continued staring into the crowd. Ding! My phone chimed. I slowly pulled it out of my pocket and looked at the screen. Motion detected at your doorstep. 
8.32 p.m. I tapped on the camera feed. There he stood. David? Who else could it be? He was missing, and there was the masked man, standing on my porch. Heart pounding, I fought my way through the kitchen, through the family room, and over to the front door. Now the porch was empty. I opened the door and stared out into the night. But beyond the halo of light the porch created, everything was a murky mess of shadow. I shut the door. The lights flickered. And then they went out. The room plunged into darkness. Shouts and murmurs sounded across the party. Masked faces whirled about it in confusion. Turn the lights back on! A woman shouted angrily. Cell phone flashlights flicked on, twinkling among the crowd of shadows. Ding! Motion detected at your back door, 8.35 p.m. I stared at my phone in horror as I heard the back door creak open, followed by heavy footsteps. I ran through the family room and into the kitchen. The back door hung open, but he was gone, blended into the crowd. Stay calm, I told myself. Get the power back on, then you can deal with finding the culprit. My head pulsed with pain as I considered the two options. Either someone flipped the master breaker, or someone cut the power lines. I decided to check the master breaker first. Alicia, I said, fumbling my way in the darkness towards her. Thank goodness she wasn't wearing a mask like the rest of them. Keep everyone calm, okay? I'm going to check the breakers in the basement. Oh, okay, she said, biting her lip. You, th you think maybe the fog machine was drawing too much power? Um, yeah. No need to get her worried. Using my cell phone as a flashlight, I stumbled to the basement door. I opened it. The stairs loomed before me, stretching into the pitch-black shadow below. A shudder ran through me. Maybe it was just the fog machine. I muttered to myself, descending the steps one by one. We had a menagerie of Halloween decorations out on the lawn, and it was possible that they blew the fuse. Then why would the whole house be without power? I forced the question out of my head and continued down the stairs. I made my way to the breaker box, my footsteps clicking against the cement. The master breaker was flipped. Someone intentionally walked into the basement and flipped the switch. My heart pounded in my chest. My hand shook as I reached out and flipped the switch back. The lights flickered to life, including the light bulb above my head. For a second, silence. Then someone grabbed me roughly from behind. I whipped around, thrashing against strong arms. A white mask stared back at me, smeared with blood, gaping, empty eye sockets. I tore away and jumped back. My body collided with my workbench. My eyes scanned it. There. There was my hammer, lying on the wood. I grabbed it. The figure jumped forward. Laughter echoed from beneath the mask, along with a voice. I got you this... I lifted the hammer and smashed it into his skull. The man immediately crumpled. He fell onto the floor, 
head smacking against the tile. I crouched over him. Then I reached over and pulled the mask off. It was David. Footsteps sounded behind me, then shouts, then screams. Call 911! Someone cried. But David was perfectly still. The police carried him out in a body bag. The guests were gone. The masks were strewn across the floor, the couch, every room of the house. A few were completely crushed, stepped on in the chaos. The back door still hung open, letting in gusts of cold October air. I didn't sleep a wink that night. The image of David's face burned into my mind. I'd heard his wife explain to the police in broken sobs that he'd been planning some sort of prank on me at the party. He hadn't visited the house or stalked Alicia. He'd only planned to scare at the party. She didn't know what it was until the lights went out. He was innocent. I spent half the day sleeping, the other half drunk. When night rolled around, Alicia pulled me off the couch. Sit on the porch with me, she said. Why? It isn't good for you to be inside all day like this. I followed her out, beer in hand. We sat on the back porch facing the forest. Ben, you can't, um... You didn't mean to, she forced out, glancing in my direction. No. I didn't mean to. The funeral's in three days. Maybe we should go. She reached over and squeezed my hand. I don't know if I can face Mary, I said, stumbling over my words. Or any of them. I... My words caught in my throat. There, on the edge of the tree line stood a familiar figure, dressed in all black, wearing a white mask, splattered with blood. I stood up. Alicia grabbed my hand, but I yanked it away. Get the hell off my property! I screamed. The figure didn't budge. Fueled by alcohol and anger, I leapt off the porch and strode across the backyard. Ben, please don't! Alicia called after me. Take off your fucking mask! I screamed, closing in on the figure. He still didn't move. A man is dead because of your fucking games! Alicia jogged after me, turning on her cell's flashlight. Ben, stop, please! But I didn't stop. I didn't stop until I was inches from his face. But I could smell his sordid breath in the air. Take off your fucking mask! I growled. I want to see who you are before I smash your stupid little head! He just stared at me with those gaping eye sockets. Plastic mouth twisted into a smile. Oh, you don't believe me. You should. I killed someone last night, smashed his head right in. I'm a murderer now. You hear that? I leaned in, my face inches from his. I killed someone because of you! And I'll kill you too if you don't take that fucking mask off! He didn't move. 
Fine! I shouted, spittle flying from my mouth. I'll take it off myself then! I reached up, grabbed at his jawline, pulled. It didn't come off. I stumbled forward, grabbed harder, pulled harder. No, 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 no! I took a step back, my heart pounding. It wasn't a mask. I watched in horror as his mirthful grin contorted into an angry scowl. Run. Run! I screamed, taking off across the grass. Alicia followed, screaming her lungs out. I whipped around to see the figure chasing us at full speed across the lawn. I ran as fast as I could. I didn't stop until I was inside the house, closing the door. That's when I realized... Alicia had stopped screaming. The backyard was empty. Both of them were gone without a trace. Except for Alicia's phone in the grass. The flashlight shined up towards the sky, shimmering and sparkling in the shadows. I haven't seen Alicia since that night. It's been a week. I didn't attend David's funeral, though I suppose I'm now in the same boat as Mary Chandler. Her husband is gone. So is my wife. The police suspect that I killed David on purpose. After all, our playful little rivalry was well known among the neighbors. They also believe I had something to do with Alicia's disappearance and to fill in a motive for me. Rumors are flying that Alicia and David were having an affair... I've been advised not to leave town, so as much as I would love to leave this all behind, I'm stuck here with my guilt, with my past. I leave you with a warning. The masked man, whatever he is, is still out there. And so I beg you. Don't trust anyone who wears a mask, who hides their face behind a grotesque facade of plastic, because it might not be a mask after all. I hope you enjoyed The Halloween Mask, as written by Blair Daniels and Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's creator, Craig Groshek, as performed by Jason Hill. If you'd like to hear more stories from Blair and Craig, you'll find more of their work in Blair's newest collection of scary stories, now available on Amazon.com. Just search for Don't Scream 2, 30 More Tales to Terrify, and get ready to lose some sleep. Up next... We've got a third tale for you, performed by Heather Thomas, about an urban legend that may just be stranger than fiction. Before I proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about another of tonight's sponsors, HalloweenCostumes.com, and how you can get 20% off your entire order with them this spooky season. If you're looking for the best Halloween costume ideas for this year's festivities, HalloweenCostumes.com's got you covered. Whether you are searching for a costume for All Hallows' Eve itself or need the perfect outfit to wear to your upcoming murder mystery party, their costume selection is larger than that of any other Halloween store in the industry. 
In fact, it's the biggest in the world. It's HalloweenCostumes.com's mission to provide an unmatched experience when you're shopping for your Halloween costumes, accessories, decor, and costume apparel. They carry not only high-quality costumes, but also accessories, such as wigs, hats, masks, and boots, sure to provide costume ideas for everyone, and all at a price that will fit even the tightest of budgets. Whether you're shopping for something spooky or sexy for yourself, or for an adorable get-up for your kids or pets, they've got everything you could need to celebrate this year. Need something fast or shipped internationally? Not a problem. With a big day just a few weeks away, HalloweenCostumes.com's got lots of shipping options to choose from and ships to more than 200 countries across the globe. No matter which way you look at it, with HalloweenCostumes.com, the perfect Halloween costume is only a couple of clicks away. And this month, for a limited time, they're offering those of you in our listening audience 20% off your entire order. To get that discount and let our sponsor know we sent you, just click the promotional URL in our show notes and proceed as usual. Or visit HalloweenCostumes.com slash promo slash select your scare 20. That's HalloweenCostumes.com slash promo slash select your scare 20 for 20% off your entire order. Your savings will be reflected during the checkout process. Thanks for giving our sponsor, HalloweenCostumes.com, a try this year and for letting them know that the team and I sent you. Now that we've ensured your Halloween costume this year will be the best ever, courtesy of our friends at HalloweenCostumes.com, allow me to ignite your imagination with another eerie tale. Stay tuned if you dare. <laughs> Our third tale tonight comes to us from an author who prefers to be known only by the moniker Super Queen 0208 and is voiced by Heather Thomas. In it, we learn about the legend of a pastor's wife, rumored to have been responsible for the deaths of not only her husband, but dozens of innocent children, said to have met a grisly and herself. But what if the rumors were true? Without further ado, I present to you the Legend of Tallulah James. All my life, I've fostered a deep love for Halloween. Everything about it makes me tingle with joy and the expectation of a fun-spirited time. I mean, the weather is superb. The leaves of yellow, red, and brown are gorgeous. The decor inspires my infinite imagination. The treats are mouth-watering. The movies and shows leave me in a perpetual state of high anxiety. What's not to love? Within the last couple years, I've become old enough to dress up for the holiday again. As a child, I, of course, slipped into a costume for the night. Then, as a preteen... It occurred to me that I was too old for such shenanigans, much like how it came to me that I was no longer little enough to play with my Barbies and dolls. I recently dove into my mid-twenties, right as my daughter Olivia entered her toddler years, and it dawned on me that I am finally at an acceptable age to don a costume again. In addition to this, there is nothing more fun than having your child pick out a costume and trick-or-treat. I still love Halloween. I don't think anything could ever make me stop enjoying the night. 
However, I now approach Halloween like I'd approach a stranger in a dark alley, with caution. Olivia was about one and a half. She dressed as a dragon that year and looked absolutely adorable. I know, I'm biased, but it's true. We trick-or-treated for an hour before my sleepy baby vocalized by way of a tantrum that she'd had enough festivities and was ready for bed. I'd worked all day, so I was a bit relieved that we could head home. The walk home was nice. The sky was a deep slate gray, as it wasn't fully night. There was a cool breeze that carried to my ears the gleeful voices of children all throughout the neighborhood. At home, I bathed my cranky baby, slapped a fresh diaper and PJs on her, and tucked her in, planting a kiss on her forehead before leaving her to drift into sleep. For myself, I changed out of my headless horseman attire, grabbed a beer, snagged a few chocolates out of Olivia's pumpkin bucket, and settled into the couch to watch a horror film on TV. I sipped my beer, ate my stolen bounty, and cringed into the cushion at every jump scare. When the credits of the movie rolled, I turned the TV off and showered, ready for bed. I was getting myself some ice water when there was a knock at my door. I checked the oven clock. 10.39. Trick-or-treating ended at 8, but I figured maybe some teenagers were trying to stretch out the night or perhaps wanted to dabble in some practical jokes, like ding-dong ditch. I tiptoed to the door and peered through the peephole. A weeping girl, probably about 16 or so, stood on my welcome mat, mascara running down her face. She was dressed in an outfit that reminded me of Little Red Riding Hood. Fuck, what's this about? I opened the door. Are you okay? What's going- You gotta let me in. Please, please, Jesus, let me in. I'm so scared. The stench of raw fear emanated from this girl. If she was playing a joke, she more than earned a fucking Academy Award. I instantly felt my stomach drop. I had Olivia sound asleep in her bed to worry about. Yeah, come on, hurry, I said, letting her in and shutting and locking the door. Oh God, thank you, thank you, you have no idea. I've gone to a million different houses and no one would even acknowledge me. She peeled the red hood of her cloak off her head of long, dark hair. What's going on? Are you hurt? Do I need to call your parents, or the cops, or both? No! She shouted, throwing her hands up in front of her. I flinched. She lowered her arms to her sides. I mean, no, that's not necessary. I, uh, I'm okay. Can I get a drink, please? Yeah. Yeah, but you're going to tell me what's going on, right? She solemnly nodded, chewing her bottom lip. After I'd given her a glass of water, we sat on my couch. She guzzled the water down and put the empty glass on the coffee table. I cleared my throat. I didn't want to be pushy, 
but I had to know the extent of the situation. Um, I was with some friends. We weren't trick-or-treating or anything, just walking around, goofing off. There's this party we were going to go to tonight. She twirled a strand of hair around her index finger. It's okay, really. I was trying my best to sound like a safe and comforting adult, when really I felt like a terrified, insecure little girl. I wished I wasn't having to deal with this. Wished there was someone older around to take care of it. We went to the cemetery, took some candles and stuff, for a seance. Everything was just in fun. We didn't mean for anything to really happen. My arms broke out into goosebumps. I knew in the same way you can feel someone staring at you without ever seeing them. In the same way you know the teacher is about to call your name before she does. That whatever she was about to tell me was the truth. I squirmed in reluctance to receive it. I wanted my mom. At first, we thought it was a train because it sounded far off. Then we thought it was the wind. But the trees weren't moving. That's when the grave next to us crumbled. We all screamed and scattered. I ended up alone, running past grave after grave. Her voice was getting shrill, hysterical. Tears rolled down her cheeks. I tripped over something, and when I stood up, there was this... this woman standing in front of me. She was in a long black dress. Oh, God. And this terrible smell. She smelled like death. Her face, her eyes were completely white and her mouth was open. She she had all these teeth, like some kind of monster. But the worst part was the axe stuck in her neck. And her head was crooked, like it was barely hanging on. She swallowed and closed her eyes, rubbing her arms. She she touched me, touched me with these long, talon-like nails. I screamed and ran and tried to get someone to help me. And then you answered your door. I don't know where my friends are, but I am so, so scared. Her pale face flushed suddenly. I, um, I was so scared. I wet myself, she whispered in a small voice, avoiding my face. I was stunned. I had no idea how to react. The rational part of me said, This girl is messing with you. You aren't fucking with me, are you? No, she cried. I swear. You... I hate to ask this, but have you been using drugs? She shook her head. I had two beers hours ago. That's it. 
I wet my lips with my suddenly heavy tongue. What about your friends? Don't you think it's possible they were playing a joke on you? She stared off into space. I hope they were. A pregnant silence followed before I shattered it as I got up and started for the hall. Just hang on a sec. I'm going to go get my cell so you can call your parents, okay? And I think I have a pair of pants you can fit into, too. Just breathe. You're perfectly safe now. She didn't answer me. She just kept staring at nothing. The goosebumps materialized again. On the way to my room, I checked on Olivia. She was sleeping peacefully, blissfully unaware of the situation in the living room. When I returned, the dialer already open on my cell. The girl was gone. I raced to the door and flung it open. I looked up and down the street for her, but saw no one. Eaten alive with worry, but not knowing what to do, I barely slept that night. The next day, as Olivia was eating yogurt melts in her booster seat, I searched the living room for a book I hadn't yet pawed through in order to get my mind off the mysterious teenage girl. En route to the bookshelf, I paused in front of the couch. There, where the girl had sat, were what resembled bloodstains in four different places. Two were on the cushion you sit on, and the others were painted on the top cushions. The sight knocked the wind out of me. Had she been bleeding? And how had I not noticed that she was bleeding if she was? Why hadn't she told me she was hurt? As silly as I felt doing so, I felt compelled to call the police to at least ensure this girl was safe. But the news anchor speaking on my TV halted my intentions and captured my attention. Kills Cemetery. The teenage girl was found dead at approximately 10 this morning by the groundskeeper. Authorities are not releasing details of her death at this time, but did state that she appeared to have died sometime last night. My gut screamed out. It's the girl. It's the girl from last night. I practically threw Olivia into her car seat in my haste to leave, buckling her and slipping behind the wheel of the driver's seat. I peeled out of the driveway, narrowly missing my mailbox, and zoomed through the streets of my neighborhood, neighbors openly gawking. Fifteen minutes later, I pulled into the parking lot of the sheriff's department. I burst through the entrance, Olivia in my arms, and jogged up to the front counter. Before the officer standing there had a chance to speak, I cried out, I want to speak to someone about the teenage girl found at the cemetery. Uh, yes ma'am, come with me. I followed the deputy through the fluorescent halls of generic metal doors. He stopped outside one and knocked. Yeah. Lady to see you. About, well, about that teenage girl. The door opened, revealing a squat, pudgy man with intense brown eyes, 
his eyes found my gaze and cooled considerably. Come in, come in. I'm Sheriff Hughes. We shook hands. I'm Laura Yoke. Olivia fussed as I squeezed into the dense office. I opted to stand so I could bounce her on my hip. Please, sit, he said, plopping down into his chair. No, thank you. I... Um... God. This is going to sound just so crazy, but last night... What time last night? He asked, eyes averted as he scribbled in a notebook. The green digital numbers on my oven clock flashed before me. It was 10.39, to be exact. He added something to whatever he was writing, then set the pen down, folded his arms across his chest, and gave me his full attention. This girl, a teenage girl, knocked on my door, and she's crying hysterical. I let her in and asked what's wrong, and and she says that she and her friends were having a seance in the cemetery. Something spooked them, and, well, she says she saw a ghost, I guess. And she's so terrified, more scared than I've ever seen someone in my life. I went to get my cell so she could call her parents, but when I got back to the living room, she'd left. I was up all night worrying about this girl, and today I noticed these red marks on my couch where she'd been sitting. They looked like blood to me. Then I heard the news about the girl found... found... He held up a hand. Let's calm down a minute here. What was this girl wearing? A costume. Reminded me of Little Red Riding Hood. And she had long, dark hair and pale skin. The stern man's face froze in shock for a mere fleeting second. He adjusted his collar and smiled. Okay. Okay, sounds to me like we have us a little coincidence going on here. Really? Oh. God, that makes me feel a little better. She doesn't match the description, then? I cannot say that. It's an ongoing investigation. But I am going to tell you something else that I shouldn't, because I see how concerned you are. Couldn't have been the girl found this morning. He didn't have to say anything about the clothes the dead girl was wearing. I was positive my visitor matched the body in the graveyard, based on his expression when I described her. Wait a second. I saw your face when I described how she looked. He dismissed my observation. Couldn't have been her, I say. Because the girl found this morning was already dead by 10.30 last night. She was... dead from about 8.30. I scoffed. (laughs) How accurate is the time of death? Pretty damn accurate... It's pretty accurate, ma'am. So, there, it couldn't have been the same girl... Unless you are wrong about the time. No, no, I know it was 10.39. I know because I looked at the clock 
and thought about how trick-or-treating had ended, right before I went to the door. I am a hundred percent sure of the time, okay? But what about the red stains on my couch? He clucked his tongue and tipped his head to indicate Olivia on my hip. Ma'am, toddlers are professional messmakers. She probably got hold of something you didn't even realize she had, and leaked it all over your couch. Don't you think you would have noticed if this girl from last night was wounded? I mean, was she acting hurt? No, I mumbled. I even asked her if she was hurt, and she said no. There. It's settled then. Nothing but a coincidence. I left there feeling a tad foolish, despite a nagging voice in my head that said something was wrong here. I hadn't believed Sheriff Hughes was right, but I needed so badly to trust in his argument, to have a sense of closure about those strange events, that I convinced myself I was fretting over nothing. With a little time, and some avoidance on my part of the news in any form, I settled back into normalcy, and soon rarely thought of Halloween night. Not until Thanksgiving. At Thanksgiving dinner, my aunt's husband, a sheriff's deputy in a neighboring county, brought up the cemetery murder after he was three drinks deep. You just wouldn't fucking believe the sickos running around in society, pretending to be fucking normal. Ugh. It just turns my stomach. Like, that girl they found here at... What's it called? He looked to my aunt. Park Hills? Yeah, yeah, Park Hills Cemetery. My blood turned to ice. That crazy fuck. Now I know they kept the details out of the papers, out of respect for the girl's family, but I gotta tell ya, because it is a perfect fucking example of the kind of sickos I'm talking about. This guy, who they've never caught, and probably never will, actually axed the poor girl's arms and legs. That's right, axed him. To make it look like that woman's murders from way back when. Robbie, maybe... Honey, please. I'm telling a story here. Let me finish. Wait, are you talking about Tallulah James? They made it look like Tallulah James killed her? Really? Remember? We used to tell each other the story of Tallulah when we were kids, Laura. My cousin intervened, wide-eyed. I said nothing. Whatever. The fucker actually took her arms and legs. They haven't been able to find him. Oh, and, uh, he bit into her neck. Robbie! Aunt Paula yelled. Paula? It's Thanksgiving. Maybe we should find something more pleasant to talk about. Besides, Laura looks as if she's seen a ghost. Around the dinner table, all eyes on me, my family's soft laughter chimed. Their faces tilted and grew hazy as I slipped out of consciousness. When I opened my eyes, 
My mom was leaning over me. Easy, baby. You fainted. I just want you to rest right here. I've got Olivia. Do you need anything? I shook my head. Robbie just doesn't know when to shut up. I mean, I'd rather not hear about that gruesome murder either, especially on a holiday. She sighed. I'll be back in a few to check on you. She kissed my cheek and departed. Lying on my childhood bed, the story from my youth sailed into my mind. I had always thought it was just a fun, scary story, made up by some kid with an imagination the size of life. In the dark, one of us would whisper the tale of Tallulah James, the pastor's wife who first poisoned him to death, then kidnapped a dozen children, murdered them, and axed their arms and legs off. Angry, suspicious townspeople coming to confront her found the rotting corpses of the missing children in her cellar. When they asked her what she did with their arms and legs, she smiled and replied, Why, I ate them, of course. Her own cousin buried an axe in her neck. I didn't make the connection because I hadn't known how the teenage girl had been killed and had never contemplated whether Tallulah had been a real person. Not till Uncle Robbie spoke about the graveyard murder and that woman's murders from way back when. I turned on my side, pulling my knees into my chest. Tallulah James had come for one last child. And that child... Neither she nor I, knowing she was already dead, paid me a visit on her final Halloween night. I hope you enjoyed The Legend of Tallulah James by author Super Queen 0208, as performed by Heather Thomas. Up next, we've got one final round of fear-inducing fiction for you. Our fourth story is yet another Chilling Tales for Dark Nights original and comes to us once again from the minds of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights creator Craig Groshek and Blair Daniels and is voiced by Jason Hill. In our final tale tonight, a team of paranormal investigators documenting firsthand the haunting of an infamous South Dakota hotel goes to unusual lengths to get proof of the afterlife. Without further ado, I present to you The Haunting of Room 8. 12. It was the most haunted room in all of South Dakota. Haunted by the lady in white, a bride who is left at the altar and jumped from the window to her death. Or, if you ask some, a woman who was brutally murdered by her husband-to-be. Are you picking up anything? Darren asked staring at his K2 meter. Nope, I replied. No activity so far. How about you? Darren turned to Annabelle, the red-headed woman holding the camcorder. No, she said, looking at the screen. Nothing. Let's go in, then. See if we get anything. I pulled out my keycard and shoved it into the door. The lock clicked, and I pushed the door open. The room was dark, 
and cold. My hand skimmed the wall, searching for a light switch. Even as a ghost hunter, I didn't like walking into totally dark, strange rooms. The lights flicked on, and we found ourselves in what appeared to be a normal room. Perfectly made bed, small windows, cream-colored walls. We all stared at our meters and cameras for a good hour. Unfortunately, not so much as a glowing speck of dust made its appearance. Darren was the first to give up. He groaned in disappointment and flopped onto the bed. Man, we're not catching any breaks here, are we? Nope. And I was sure we'd catch something, I grumbled. This stinks. My thoughts weren't on spooky ghosts, but our dwindling YouTube ad revenue. Every ghost hunting video we posted garnered fewer views. We needed this. One blurry silhouette. One bout of flickering lights. One chair moving on its own accord. Something. Maybe it's time we hire a video editor, Darren said, staring blankly at the meter. I mean, all the other channels do it. A little blur, some glowing orbs. No! Our whole thing is that our videos are real. We do not Photoshop. We don't edit. We post real stuff only. I crossed my arms and glared at him. You want to sell out? Resort to forgeries? I want to be able to pay my rent, he said into the pillow, and eat something other than ramen. Guys, shh. Annabelle brought a finger to her lips. The tinny ding of the elevator pierced the silence, followed by heavy footfalls outside. Someone's coming off the elevator, Darren said. What's the big deal? It's 1 a.m., Annabelle whispered. Who'd be up this late on a Tuesday night? The three of us swarmed the peephole. From what I could see, the elevator doors were open, and I heard faint footsteps. But no one was there. Probably just some guy going down to get a snack, Darren said. Looks like this place really is just a tourist trap, I said spinning the hotel pen between my fingers. Just like most haunted places are. The night's not over yet, boys, Annabelle said, but her tone wasn't very convincing. We returned to our stations around the room. Annabelle set up her camera on a tripod and remained filming, but pulled out a tabloid magazine and turned her attention to that instead. Darren played games on his phone. I collapsed on the bed and stared at the ceiling. The hours ticked by. Around 3 a.m., Annabelle caught a glowing orb on film, but upon closer inspection, we realized it was just a mosquito flying near the lens. They've gotten better footage in the Walmart parking lot, Darren complained. This blows. It was around 4 a.m. that things started to get interesting. At exactly 4.11... The familiar ding of the elevator sounded again, followed by the same heavy footsteps. Annabelle leapt up and pressed her eye against the peephole. Guys! Guys, come here! We crowded around. The elevator and the hallway were both empty. The footsteps, however, sounded like they were inches from our door. She flung the door open. We walked out, cameras out and recording. As soon as we did, the footsteps ceased. But strangely, 
The elevator doors remained open. Annabelle ran inside and motioned for us to follow. Keep recording, she said breathlessly. I feel like there's something... here! My gaze fell on the elevator buttons. The buttons for the third, fifth, and seventh floors suddenly lit up at once, without being pressed. Did you see that? I cried. Darren and Annabelle nodded. A haunted elevator, huh? Well, that wasn't in our research. Of course not, Annabelle said, as the elevator slid to a halt at the seventh floor. The doors opened with a whoosh, and the empty hallway presented itself. The Alex Johnson Hotel once tourists had creeped out and by their spooky little ghost package. They don't want tourists to hurt themselves communing with actual spirits. Her eyes met mine. Or worse. Why is it only stopping at odd-numbered floors? The third floor is where Alex Johnson lived, but... But why the fifth? Why the seventh? Annabelle shook her head. I have no idea. Or this whole elevator business is the result of a technical malfunction and the floors are chosen at random. Will you shut up, Darren? Annabelle said, rolling her eyes. The elevator is haunted. I can feel it. We came to a stop at the fifth floor. The doors parted, revealing an empty hallway that looked exactly like the hallway on the seventh and eighth floors. Then, they quietly slid shut, and the elevator descended... This time, it seemed to go twice as fast as before. I gripped the bar, steadying myself. Another high-pitched ding signaled our arrival, and the door slid open. What the hell? The third floor was dark. Not completely, I'll admit. There was a dim light coming from somewhere. But it was much darker than any other floor we'd stopped on. I could barely make out the beige carpeting, the cream walls, the door extending into the distance. Holy crap, Darren said in disbelief. Are you getting this? I peered at my camera's viewfinder. In it, the floor was fully lit, and identical to every other floor we'd stopped on. No, 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 that's, that's impossible, I said my mouth growing dry. I... Oh, there's something wrong. It looks normal on screen. I looked back up. Nearly had a heart attack. A figure stood, barely visible, at the end of the hallway. Its head canted to the side, as if out of curiosity. It was unsettling. How perfectly it blended into the shadows. There. There. There's someone out there. I whispered hoarsely. Instinctively, my hand reached for the closed doors button on the elevator. The doors did not close. The elevator didn't respond at all. The specter continued to stare at us. Its head cocked at an unnatural angle. It was too dark to make out anything else about them. Their hair, their clothes, their gender. It was all impossible to tell. I only knew one thing. 
They were getting closer. I reached for the elevator button. My finger touched the plastic. And then, I flew forward. I crashed hard into the carpet, the air rushing from my lungs. I sucked in a choking breath and tried to regain my composure. The elevator doors were closing, and in the quickly narrowing gap, I saw Annabelle and Darren's faces, staring back at me with an odd combination of horror and satisfaction. Wait! I screamed, frantically clambering to my feet. It was too late. My hands fell on closed doors. I pounded my fists against them. They didn't budge. I was trapped. I whipped around, my heart pounding. The wraith was gone. Okay, I reasoned aloud. Just call back the elevator and everything will be fine. I turned back to the elevator. The call button was gone. Where it had once been a blank wall surrounded the doors. What the hell is going on? I shouted. My only option was to make my way back to our room the old-fashioned way. The stairs. With a nervous gulp, I traversed the dimly lit hallway, half expecting the closed doors flanking me on either side to burst open at any moment. An odd, static buzzing came from behind some of them, like the sound of thousands of flies struggling against their restraints. As I passed one of the doors, I heard the muffled voice of a man. Maybe he knew where I could find a working elevator. I wasn't looking forward to walking up five flights of stairs. I've been trying, I overheard them say. I've been trying to leave for three days and I... I... I raised my fist and knocked. As soon as I did, the voice abruptly cut off. I waited, staring at the door. That's when I noticed the numbers hanging on his door. 308. We're upside down. The door cracked open, revealing the sliver of a wild eye glaring back at me. It was that of an old man, from what I could tell. The deep wrinkles of his face were bathed in shadow, making it look as if he'd been carved from wood. You're not one of them, he growled, as if it were some sort of shocking revelation. Um, no, listen, I came down the elevator, but there doesn't seem to be a call button down here. Do you know if there's another elevator? I glanced around at the dark hallway. And why are the lights so dim on this floor? He stared at me for a moment. Get out, he rasped. Get out before it's too late. What? Find a door, a window, anything, and get out! The door slammed in my face. Confused and slightly disturbed, I continued down the hallway. The lights dimmed nearly to the point of extinguishing flickering softly in their glass bulbs. Over and over I lost my bearings, unable to determine which direction I was going. For what felt like an eternity, I felt my way along the walls, desperately trying to find my way until finally I arrived at the stairs. Then, I began that long, hard climb to the eighth floor. 
With every step, the man's words echoed in my mind. Get out. Get out. What did he mean by that? And the figure in the hallway. I had been ghost hunting for five years and I had never seen something like that. Standard fare, including glowing orbs, odd tapping sounds, shadowy figures in the corner of my eye, things that could technically be explained away by logic. This could not. By the time I got to the top, I was panting and sweat clung to my shirt. I pulled the door open with a groan and walked down the hallway. The hallway was dark, just like the third floor. It must be some sort of hotel-wide power problem, I told myself. That actually made me feel better. Maybe everything that happened, the elevator buttons, the dim lights, was due to an electrical issue. It was an old hotel, after all. Maybe. In all the confusion, I'd imagined the shadows. And the old man was just some lunatic. I walked down the hallway, my shoes thumping conspicuously against the carpet. The silence was ominous, though not unexpected. After all, I reasoned everyone was sleeping at this hour. I arrived at room 812 and inserted my keycard into the door. The lock clicked, and I pushed the door open. The room was pitch black, even though I was sure we kept every light on when we left. Annabelle! I called. Darren? You here? We need to talk. Silence. I walked down the short hallway into the main room and froze in my tracks. Frigid air rushed in through the open window. On the windowsill, surrounded by billowing curtains, there stood a feminine figure facing away from me, wearing a white wedding dress. Hey! I called out to her. What are you doing in a room? The words barely out of my mouth when she pitched forward. I heard the soft rustle of fabric and the whistling wind as she plummeted towards the ground. Then, with a sickening crack of flesh against pavement, everything went still. Nausea washed over me. I fought the urge to vomit. I pulled out my phone and dialed Annabelle. My fingers nervously slipping over the screen and was met with a busy signal. Same for Darren. And for the police. Each and every time, I failed to get through. Then, my eyes fell on the hotel phone. I ran over to it and dialed zero for the front desk. It rang. A moment later, a man's voice answered. Hello? It all came rushing out. Oh, thank God. Listen, I need your help. I, I, just, I just, just saw this, this woman, and she jumped, and I can't find my friends, and... Come to the front desk. He responded in a slow draw. Then the line went dead. I stared into the abyss of the desolate room. Then, I got up averted my gaze from the window 
and walked back down all eight flights of stairs. When I finally wandered into the lobby, I found it deserted. The only faces I encountered were decorative and inanimate. The Alex Johnson Hotel had no less than six faces, wearing feathered headdresses, carved into the beams of the hotel. When I looked up, I could swear I saw a flash of darkness in the balcony overhead. In an instant, however, it was gone. I ran toward the front desk. Is anyone here? I shouted. Hello, a voice called out of the darkness. A man bustled out of the back, portly and middle-aged with a carefully curled mustache and a pair of round glasses. What may I help you with? He asked, lips curling into a smile. I just got called from upstairs as someone just jumped out from the eighth floor window. Not to worry, he said, cutting me off. His eyes locked on mine. She does that every night. I'm, I'm sorry, but... What? I responded incredulously. Oh, my dear boy, if you haven't noticed, you are not in South Dakota anymore. I looked around. That's ridiculous. Of course I am. This is the Alex Johnson Hotel. What are you talking about? Oh, it certainly looks like the Alex Johnson Hotel, doesn't it? He said, casting an adoring glance at the ceiling. Ah, yes. The attention to detail is remarkable. We have Agnetha to thank for that. Lovely woman, really. Have you met her yet? Listen, you tell me what the hell is going on right now. I just saw a woman jump from an eight-story window, and this, this crazy guy on the third floor told me to get out, and when I try to call my friends, I get a busy signal. Of course, my boy. If it'll make you feel better, allow me to explain. He leaned over the front desk, his mouth stretching into a smile. It was only then that I realized there was something wrong with his face. His eyes protruded too far from their sockets, and his lips were so thin they were barely visible. The lift that brought you here, he said, gesturing to the elevator, travels beyond the veil. Are you saying I'm... I'm dead? Oh, no, 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 no. Well, not exactly, but... If you don't find your way back soon, you'll find escape quite impossible. And you may as well be. How do I get back? I need to get to Annabelle and Darren. He cut me off with a peal of laughter. Shivers crept down my spine. <laughs> Why so much concern for them? They're my business partners, my friends, my... My... The words caught in my throat. My teammates. Are you certain of that? I nodded. They lied to you. I balked. What would you know? I've never met you before in my life. Besides, you're just a, a front desk clerk. On the contrary, my boy, I know many things. His eyes twinkled and he leaned forward. A musty, rotten smell came off him and I cringed. 
when you were ten years old. For example, you stole a pack of gum from a shop on 4th Avenue. When you were 18, you were heartbroken when you walked in on your girlfriend. How do you know about that? I demanded. I have my ways, Kyle, and I'm certain you weren't pulled from the lift by some supernatural force. His bulbous eyes stared me down. His lips curled into an insidious smile. You were pushed. My mind raced. I tried to think back to exactly what had happened when I fell onto the third floor. I couldn't recall. One minute I'd been standing in the elevator. The next, I'd been thrown to the ground. It's the human condition, you know. Greed. What did your companion stand to gain by pushing you? Control of the business? Under new management, ooh, they can run things however they see fit. Rage burned within me. I didn't want to believe it, but I knew. I knew he was right. How do I get back? The clerk grinned rapturously, revealing rows of yellow teeth. Oh, I'm afraid it's too late for that now. I turned around. Dark silhouettes filled the lobby, just like the ones I'd seen on the third floor. Their crimson eyes flashed as they stepped toward me. It's been a while since we've had a newcomer, the man behind the desk said, practically salivating in his excitement. At that moment... Against all odds, above the fear and terror, an unexpected courage surged within me. It's me against this world, I realized. I wasn't going to go out like a coward. Not now, not ever. I watched the shapes swirl and advance in my direction. Across the dust-covered floors and faded carpet they came, the very formulation of the hotel quaking beneath their feet. Meanwhile, shadows coalesced on the balconies overhead, watching hungrily. I was completely surrounded. I sprinted to the stairwell. The shadows pursued me with superhuman speed, spiraling around the staircase. In an effort to lose them, I exited on the third floor and dashed towards the elevator, hoping to reach it before they realized I was no longer on the stairs. But to no avail. The ominous static sound returned. As I ran down the hall, each door I passed swung open with an ear-splitting creak, and the buzzing intensified. Innumerable shadows emerged on both sides, blotting out what little light was available. Their red eyes flared in the darkness. I came to a halt at the end of the hallway. The shadows swarmed and quickened their pace. Once again, there was no call button on the elevator, but I didn't care. I wedged my fingers between the doors and pushed them with all my might. With a grunt, I forced them open and squeezed into the elevator. As the cacophonous wail of the wraiths reached their crescendo, I pressed the button for the eighth floor. With a shriek, the doors came to a close. Mere moments before a horde of outstretched arms arrived. With a shudder and a groan, the elevator reluctantly ascended. With each second, the din of the screaming specters lessened. 
until, at last, they were little more than a gust of wind in the distance. I took a deep breath and did my best to calm down. My relief was short-lived. A moment later, the floor shook beneath my feet. I grabbed the railings as my heart skipped a beat and threatened to evacuate my body. The lights began to flicker. The buttons flashed in a strange syncopated rhythm. And then, the elevator stopped completely. Dread settled in the pit of my stomach. I'm going to be stuck here. Forever. I ran to the doors and pounded on them as the lights oscillated madly. Let me out! I screamed. Let me out! Hissing whispers filled the elevator. At first they were scattered and unintelligible. But then... They snapped together, forming one voice. Exchange, they said in unison. We require an exchange. Whatever you want, I screamed. Anything but me, just name it. Two, the voices hissed through the static. We demand two in your stead. Yes, 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 fine. Just, just please let me go. The elevator trembled, and then it plummeted. I screamed the whole way down, but I didn't stop until the elevator made impact, and the crushing pain consumed me, and everything went black. My eyes fluttered open. I was lying on something soft. Up above me, Light shone from an outdated fixture on the ceiling. Where am I? I wondered. I sat up and glanced around. The hallway. The armchair. The bed. I was back in room 812. And across the room, looking out the window, were Annabelle and Darren. Hatred burned within me at the sight of them. This must have been the last thing the lady in white saw before she jumped, Annabelle was saying, holding her camcorder. The window was open, and a cold breeze blew inside. They were oblivious to my presence. Or she was pushed, Darren corrected her. Silently, I rose from the bed and approached the window. The spirits had abandoned an exchange. Two in my place. The choice was clear. Darren and Annabelle would not get away with what they'd done. They'd get what they deserved. Smiling ear to ear, I made my approach. Distracted as they were, my former friends never saw or heard me coming. Without hesitation, I shoved both of them out the window. Their screams echoed for a second or two before the unforgiving pavement put an end to that. With a smirk, I considered the irony of the situation. Darren and Annabelle would finally get proof of the afterlife. Just not in the way they expected. I walked back over to the bed and picked up the hotel phone, dialing the front desk. Hello? I said, in the most convincing panicked tone I could muster. 
my, my, my friends, they just, they just had a terrible accident. They were leading out the window, filming, and, and they lost their balance, and oh, oh, oh my god. I faked choking sobs. I think, I think they're dead. Oh my god, they're dead. I hung up the phone. The wintry air swept across my face as I imagined the whereabouts of the two who had tried to take everything from me. I grinned. If room 812 wasn't haunted before, it certainly was now. I hope you enjoyed The Chilling Tales original story, The Haunting of Room 812, by authors Craig Groshek and Blair Daniels, as performed by Jason Hill. As a reminder, the two stories from Blair and Craig that you heard tonight, along with more than two dozen other amazing tales, are featured in Blair's newest collection of scary stories, Don't Scream 2, 30 More Tales to Terrify, now available on Amazon.com. Please consider showing your support for the authors by picking up a copy this week. And if you feel so inclined, leave them a five-star review and a kind word, letting them know you heard about the book right here on this show. If you enjoyed what you heard tonight, we'd like to remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. And to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. Finally, thanks again to today's sponsors, Quip and HalloweenCostumes.com, for their support of this show. Don't forget, Quip starts at just $25, and you'll get your first refill free at GetQuip.com Tales. This is a simple way to support our show and start brushing better. But you have to go to getquip.com slash tales to get your first refill free. Go right now to getquip.com slash tales. That's T-A-L-E-S, tales. Be sure to use that URL to let the kind folks at Quip know that Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and I sent you. It would mean a lot to me. And don't forget, HalloweenCostumes.com is offering those of you in our listening audience 20% off your entire order. To get that discount, click the promotional URL in our show notes and proceed as usual. Or visit HalloweenCostumes.com slash promo slash select your scare 20. That's HalloweenCostumes.com slash promo slash select your scare 20 for 20% off your entire order. Your savings will be reflected during the checkout process. Thanks again for giving our sponsors a try this month and for your support. It means a lot to us. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. As always, I'm so glad you were able to join us tonight. It's been my honor. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. (laughs) Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. 
Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Steve Taylor. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Roshek. Logo by Craig Roshek. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? We take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.